Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences, always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate-related issues. This episode features a conversation with writer, researcher, campaigner, and advisor, Robin Webster. It was recorded at the end of March 2023. Robin, who's been knocking around the environmental world for 20 years or so in a variety of roles, first became interested in the disconnect between political debate about climate change and how we talk about it in real life while working as a campaigner for Friends of the Earth. She went on to help start the Now Mighty Carbon Brief when it began life as a climate science and energy blog, and has spent, her words, not mine, more time than is healthy digging into the intricacies of climate policy, including as a researcher for the European Climate Foundation. Robin worked at UK-based climate communication organisation Climate Outreach from 2018 to 2023, focusing on providing civil society campaigners with knowledge, tools and research to help them engage all kinds of audiences on climate change. At the moment, she's taking a break, which she thinks everyone in this sector should do on occasion, but I caught her just before she embarked on this new chapter. Amongst other things, Robin and I discussed the challenges associated with talking about climate change with family, friends, and others, what doing so can achieve in relation to the bigger picture, and what a good climate conversation looks like. So, let's get on with it. This is Communicating Climate Change with Robin Webster. Hey, hey. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to do this. It's fine, yeah. Uh, fun topic to talk about. If it's cool, we'll just dive in. Yeah. Great stuff. Could you tell us a bit about Climate Outreach and your role there? So Climate Outreach is an organisation uh, UK-based, though we're internationalising at the moment. Um, and we've, we've always focused on is the, is the link between people who are in the world uh, exploring how we can best communicate with audiences and engage people on climate change and the people whose job it is to actually have a go at, a, go at that. So to essentially like bringing that evidence base and making it useful in the world. Um, and we particularly focus and think about how you can engage people from different audiences. So sort of going outside the kind of usual suspects, um, thinking about talking about uh, the idea of like a social mandate, the idea of this need for like a cross society um, support for action on climate change in order for uh, action to take place. Um, yeah, and my role in that has particularly been uh, working with civil society groups who um, who are out there, sort of advocates who are working on climate change. From your perspective, how can communication contribute to mitigating the worst effects of climate change in the first place? I suppose I would say it's about a lot more than contribution. It's absolutely fundamental um, to seeing the action that we know needs to happen in the world in tackling climate change. And that's because uh, governments and elites can change all the policies they want. But actually, we do need a support across society, across different societies around the world, from different audiences, different sorts of people for the really revolutionary changes that we know are going to need to take place in our lives to um, to tackle the impacts of climate change and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And I think we're starting to see those changes, but the only way that that's going to happen is by effective communication, different sorts of people talking to each other, listening to each other, understanding what climate change means, what the impacts of it are going to mean, and what reducing greenhouse gas emissions is going to mean for different people across society and how to do that in a fair way. So communication is just absolutely fundamental to all of that. 
you and Climate Outreach cover so many of these different angles and pieces of the puzzle. But the one that I'm particularly interested about digging into today is kind of based around the Talking Climate Handbook. I wanted to ask the question that opens the executive summary of the Talking Climate Handbook, um, which is, we should all be talking about climate change, so why aren't we? And I think, interestingly, the answer to the question of why aren't we talking about climate change is a, an answer in flux, uh, because I think it's quite a different answer from the answer that we would have had sort of 10 years ago. So when climate outreach first started, we talked quite a lot about a concept called climate silence, which is kind of like the idea that there was almost like a kind of socially mandated agreement that we wouldn't talk too much about climate change, almost that it's like not that polite. And we thought, well, why, you know, why has that happened? And I think there's a lot of things that are embedded in that. Part of it, you know, it's that people feel overwhelmed, feel sort of frightened about the concept of climate change. They feel blamed, uh, particularly, you know, so much of that comes through when you sort of really talk to different people and listen to them talk about their perception of like environmentalists and that people see kind of environmentalists as kind of a bit overly moral and smug and kind of telling them what to do. Um, and they, they don't like that feeling of being judged. So like it immediately, you know, often if, if you start talking about climate change, it has often brought up those kind of very negative emotions. I think really interestingly, we are seeing that change over the last few years. I mean, now, if you look at kind of polls, if you look at work we've done across different audiences in this country and really around the world, you see, you know, these rising levels of concern. People are, you know, we're experiencing it in our lives. And I think as a result, people are more willing to talk about climate change. And we're seeing sort of more kind of daily conversations. Certainly, I don't know about you, like, I feel like that does happen more. And, you know, if I tell people what my job is, and you know, they want to start having that conversation with me in a way that, you know, perhaps a few years ago, people would be more reluctant to do or more kind of defensive. So yeah, I think that idea that it was rude, that it was difficult, scientific, confusing, full of blame, all of those things got embedded into our conversations and people got a little bit shy about it. And I think we're becoming a bit less shy about it, but we need to be a lot less shy about it in order for the changes that we hope can happen to happen. What do we stand to gain from talking about climate change? In order for real policy change to happen, you need that tangible feeling that everybody's talking to each other about it and bothered about it. And it becomes kind of like a thing in society. Otherwise, what tends to happen is that... Um, you know, governments make laws, but those those laws, they don't go anywhere because we haven't got that that social agreement. Something that I feel is important, uh, which, can't, which we talked about a bit in the Talking Climate Handbook, is that we've got something to gain from quite insignificant conversations. I think you can often have this feeling that, um, you know, if you haven't produced like a huge moment of revelation in the person you're talking to, then, you know, then it's not, not worth it. And oh gosh, oh, they're still really doubtful. I don't understand. But actually like a little moment of connection with somebody, a little reference to it, you know, that's all part of part of social change. So in climate outreach, we talk about the idea of a social mandate. So like a social mandate for action on climate change, like support across different parts of society from different sorts of people, understanding that this change needs to happen. And that's where I think conversations that's what we have to gain, you know, that's, and it's absolutely crucial. And it has been ignored uh, to a much too great extent in kind of advocacy, the idea that you need the social mandate, you need the support across different sorts of people for that change to happen. And yeah, conversations, us interacting with each other. The fact that we're very 
influenced by things that we see our peers doing and people we see respecting. So if like you talk to your friends and said, oh, well, you know, I took the train on this holiday rather than flying or whatever, then that may open up something in their minds that goes, oh, I could, I could do that too. So because we're so influenced by our peers around us. So all of those things show how important these kind of day-to-day social interactions are in making genuine change. What are some of the biggest barriers to talking about climate change? You mentioned a few of them, that kind of taboo uh, issue, but when we're talking to strangers or family members or colleagues, what typically are the biggest barriers there? I think one of the biggest barriers is the stuff that's going on in our own heads, which is often a set of assumptions that might not be true. So I think particularly what some of the social science data shows is that people who are uh, more left wing, who are often like quite concerned and advocate for action on climate change, are quite kind of gloomy about what everybody else thinks so you're kind of making this set of assumptions that if I start talking to my granddad about this or my next door neighbor they're you know they're not like me and therefore they're not gonna want to have that conversation they're not gonna be interested in that or they're gonna scare me by like telling me that climate change isn't happening or have to have a difficult conversation and actually I think it's really good to have the confidence and understand actually you know what the research shows is that people are really worried across all sorts of different backgrounds and having these conversations in all sorts of different communities so like I think some of the things that kind of stop us doing it are often like it's like that lack of confidence isn't it thinking oh, I don't really want to talk to this person about it in the talking climate handbook one of the pieces of advice that we gave was keep going and treat different conversations as kind of like a mini experiment if it doesn't go well then you know never mind like you were just having a conversation it's not a, not a problem We've already talked about it, some of the things that were sort of embedded in that climate silence, fear, guilt, shame, the idea that like if we start having this conversation, someone assuming that, that you're asking them to do something different or you're holding them to account for like driving when they should be walking, whatever. And do you ever get those like uh, slightly defensive reactions? I remember this from a bit longer ago, but when I was a climate advocate myself, like working in an NGO, sitting down at a one of those circular wedding tables and like saying you know like everyone's oh what do you do and then i'd say like oh you know i work on climate change and then like someone would go i recycle and someone else would be like like i only took one flight this year okay great i'm not actually your conscience personified but thanks for telling me um like it's like you know it hits those those defensive reactions those feeling of guilt or worry people don't want to have those sort of difficult conversations so that all sort of stops it and another thing, gosh, there's so many other things. You can see why it's difficult. Climate science is, a, you know, it's a scientific discipline that has come from a scientific exploration of the world. Has, you know, that is why we know what is happening is happening, and therefore, like, it is has got a lot of scientific technical language around it. And I think it's quite easy to get tied up with thinking, oh, if I don't know what sea level rise is going to look like in 2050 then i better not talk about it like i don't don't know enough this feeling of kind of disempowerment that it's a technical conversation that's happening like over there amongst elites in complicated language that you're not a part of i think that really stops it happening you know because it's it's like this is a part of our day-to-day life but it's something that can be difficult to talk about in our day-to-day life um for all these reasons it's feeling sort of overwhelmed and it being very technical so it can be hard what does a constructive climate conversation look like 
So some of the things that it looks like are a normal conversation, a conversation in which you're focusing on each other and on respect and connection for the person that you're, you know, listening to somebody else's story and telling your own story and like having mutual respect in that process. Something else that looks like is it does look like someone listening and someone talking. I, in workshops, quite often do a sort of deep listening exercise, which I thoroughly recommend and I think is one of the best uses of 10 minutes I know, in which um, one person has like four or five minutes to tell their climate story. And it's say like, when did you get worried about climate change? Like, what are you doing about it now? How do you feel about that? And they just talk and the other person just listens and then like you swap. People come out with really amazing stuff. If you're just given five minutes to to sort of tell your story, they realize, you know, that they have actually got a sort of story that's worth worth telling. And there's something amazing in the process of realizing that as a listener and sort of understanding how important it is to listen to somebody else's story and really like connect with them. In the work that we did on Talking Climate, drew on quite a lot of data out there in sort of principles like nonviolent communication uh, and, and advice and support that has been given to people. For example, we had conversations about their sexuality, about politics, about faith, you know, conversations that are potentially crunchy and difficult and kind of what kind of advice and support, you know, how do you do that well? And so much of that does come down to having a genuine exchange, observing the feelings, this is a nonviolent communication thing, observing the feeling and needs of someone you disagree with without, without judging them and listening to them, having an exchange with each other. All of those parts, I think, what make a good conversation. And it's not necessarily going to result in a massive change on one side of one party. And actually, if you find that you've influenced somebody, uh, you're not even necessarily going to know that because they might they might be a bit cross and then they might go away and go, hmm. you don't know how that process works with different people. So I think each conversation is like a little experiment and a little part of a journey, um, but to be held quite lightly in and of themselves. One thing that can make it easier to talk about climate change is the idea of the link to doing something on climate change. And obviously, like, that's where it starts to matter, right? Um, and one of the things when we did this piece of work that we found out that made the Talking Climate Handbook is if people were doing something in their lives, they found it easier to have a conversation. And it didn't have to be a massive something, you know, I don't know, I'm cycling the kids to school rather than driving them or whatever you know and I think we all have this tendency to think oh I'm just so insignificant in this I'm just so overwhelmed you know like I can't do anything but actually I find it really helpful to think if you're doing even a small something a that will make it more likely that you feel that you can have a conversation about that thing rather than about how scary and horrible climate change is that you then are sort of in a bit of a gang of people who are doing a thing you might encourage somebody else to do that thing like it just makes life easier so i think that's another way to have a constructive conversation is just to talk about something that you're doing in your life um that you know does feel like action on climate change that you're enthusiastic about that you want to talk about and that can help with that inevitable feeling that people have when they talk about climate change you're sort of overwhelmed with fear final thing i'm going to say is i think sometimes a good constructive conversation about climate change will acknowledge those negative emotions like we can't just say hey, everything's fine, la la la, because um, there's lots about it that isn't fine. And actually, sometimes it might be hard, but like a good conversation might be a conversation in which you both talk about your mutual, how mutually overwhelmed you feel, you know, how afraid you're being, and sort of actually sharing that with somebody else, because so much of it is about like authenticity, you know, reality, humans kind of having the same experience at the same time and talking about it. 
the Talking Climate Handbook is about talking. Different rules are at play also than, for instance, on social media. I'm not an expert on social media, so I'm a little bit careful about what I say. But what I observe, I think, is that social media can result in more polarisation of conversations. You know, people getting into this gang over here and this gang over here. So people who perhaps are more politically activated in one way or another might be on it. So, you know, this has been the the danger in conversations around climate change is it's often perceived as like, well, you've got the people over there who think that climate change is happening, that's a big worry. And then you've got the people over there, the other side, who like think it's not happening and we should be ignoring it. And then sort of a whole load of people in the middle who are, don't really care or are a bit confused. That isn't reflective of how people feel. It isn't reflective of people's understanding of climate change across society. Social media is obviously playing an immense role in people's day-to-day lives and it has immense role to play in kind of raising people's awareness and understanding of climate change but i do think these particular aspects of it are tricky and can result in it feeling more difficult in a way than it than it than it, than it actually is if you were chatting to your next door neighbor who's just a human being and you're just a human being you know the best climate communication is authentic is honest is vulnerable people telling stories from their life people listening to each other i haven't said the word listening yet and i think I sometimes think that half of my job is encouraging advocates to not say things and to listen to people. And social media can be more likely to be none of those things. This is completely off topic, but I'm going to find it because someone sent it to me today. The ripple effect. The reason that it popped into my head is when you said that, um, you know, every conversation doesn't have to have some epiphany in it. Um, And that, like you said, maybe someone walks away angry, but then they might confide in a friend that they had this really annoying conversation. And then that is where something more significant happens or or maybe the next one. Then it's all part of this trajectory. And I thought that this was a really interesting infographic to describe some of what you were just explaining, which is that even if you're just one person having one conversation and feeling like that's not important, the ripple effect is that that person then maybe has uh, the ability to talk to their family about it. And then maybe the kids go to school and they talk about it. And it kind of has that potential for such an outsized impact. This is something that made me think this morning, like whenever I get a bit gloomy about not doing enough or, or whatever, just thinking that you never know, there is possibly a ripple happening somewhere, thanks to you. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of looking at it. And it, I totally agree with you. It is, I found that helpful as well in those moments when you're like, what am I doing? You know, like, am I, can I really make a difference? At the end of the handbook, there is some specific advice to talking to young people about climate change. I wondered if you could share some of your findings or best practices or approaches to engaging this audience in particular. Great, great question. Thank you. And I'm going to start with a little bit of advertising in that some of the uh, results I'm going to talk about now are actually based on another report that we published last year, which was about uh, communicating around climate justice with young people. Um, And we explored this topic with young adults across different European countries and how they responded. And I think what was really fascinating about that work is it got a massive response uh, of young adults being willing to say, I think we need some kind of transformative change. It was like 80% on climate change and understanding that the commonly held understanding that the world really needs to change kind of in a big systemic kind of way across all sorts of different kind of political backgrounds and different countries across Europe. What we also saw um, amongst that audience was 
quite a strong sense of kind of powerlessness and overwhelm in that in that context. So I think one of the core things that came out of that work for us was the idea that, well, I'm going to quote actually a really good, great quote from a professor called Julian Steinberger. Uh, and I really love this from one of her articles she wrote from younger people. They don't, don't need to hear about emissions trajectories. They need to hear about trajectories of popular struggle, when and how people without power change the world. If you're a younger person, obviously you're, you have less power in society. And then if you're looking at like this change and going, I don't really get what the change needs to be, which is often you get that, like you ask people what they meant by that sort of transformative change. They were a bit like, um, hard to get a handle on it, but I know there's got to be a big change. I don't really trust governments to do it. Can you not look at me and say, oh, I should do it because I'm just a young person. So a lot of these kind of quite complicated emotions are really strong understanding of some of those principles uh, of the big change that needs to be happen, but a lack of understanding about how they can be a part of that. And I think like, particularly if we go back to the kind of idea of day-to-day conversations, if you're having a conversation with a younger person, they might feel a little bit more disempowered in that conversation and like you're telling them what to do because of the power imbalance between older and younger people. And I think the responsibility, uh, those of us who got a few more years on the clock have got, is to find supportive ways that can help people who are of younger generations to get a foothold into thinking about what they what they can do about it, how they can be a big part of it. We know they know that these big changes need to happen, but it's like, well, how can I be a part of it in a way that I can get a handle on? What does that change look like? Kind of, what's the infrastructure around me? What's the community around me that can help me go? Right. Oh, great. I know what I'm doing here. I know how to be a big part of this change. Fridays for Future is absolutely incredible. And it's partly absolutely incredible because, you know, it's started by a younger person and it's given younger people a voice. That's such a powerful thing. And I've seen it in people before in campaigning. They get this sort of little spark in their eye when the idea is a good one. And they're like, oh, I could, I could do something. Yes, I could do something with this. And I think more than anything else, that's what young young people and young adults need. And then they're really seeking that and they're really asking for that. And they need the support of society to help them get that. What's the single most important aspect of communication that we should be paying attention to in our communications endeavours? I think it's be a human being, be authentic, be real, be yourself, uh, and concentrate on connecting with other people in a genuine way. That's just the basic fundamentals of good interaction, isn't it? And it's the basis of everything. Lovely. I didn't. I thought you were going to say listening, but that's even better. <laughs> like every advocate, I've got. 15 things on my list of things um and uh i think okay i'll give you another one listening slash passing the mic which is particularly in the conversation around climate change where people who are more marginalized who haven't caused the problem are the ones who are experiencing the biggest impacts understanding that those people have a story to tell and are a part of the solution and need to be a part of the solution that does come down to listening and it comes does come down to going like, am I the best person to be speaking in this moment? Is there someone else who is much more qualified and who has a much more important story to tell? And then how can you find a way of passing the mic? And that also links to this idea of like trusted messengers that within certain communities, um, you know, that we listen to people who are like ourselves 
So that means thinking about are people empowered from different communities to speak within their community? Um, because that's often the biggest part of good comms. Not what's being said, but who's saying it. What's the biggest mistake you see communicators make when attempting to engage the public on climate change issues? I think a sort of reverse of what I just said, which is staying within your little little bubble and like having the same conversation with the same people um, uh, who all speak the same sort of language as you. So if you start talking about sustainability and trajectories and pots per million, uh, then they know what you're saying because they are also in that same conversation and thinking that that is uh, enough. It's not enough because you're only speaking to like a very small segment of society. And sometimes it's a powerful segment of society and that's why it matters. You know, sometimes you're speaking to elites when you're using that kind of language. But I think the assumption that it's okay to just go on speaking to people like yourself and that's going to be enough of a job is a real kind of flaw in the climate change conversation and something that we really need to tackle really quickly and effectively if we're going to get the changes that we need to see. I really enjoyed digging into this stuff with Robin. In fact, I've already started to put some of it into action. How cool was that deep listening exercise? I love it. But what stuck with you from this conversation? What can you take from it and apply to your own work? For me, it's that not every conversation about climate change has to have some huge revelatory outcome. It's just a conversation. Keep it kind, don't preach, lead by example, and listen. Don't forget to listen. But how about you? What will you be taking with you into your communications endeavours? And even into your daily life, perhaps? Thanks to Robin Webster for sharing her time and knowledge with the show. It was wonderful. I've popped links to the Talking Climate Handbook, as well as other relevant climate outreach resources in the show notes. Thanks also to you for listening to Communicating Climate Change. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts, or by subscribing, so you never miss out. You can also find us on LinkedIn. Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkits, to help us develop the skills and expertise that we'll need for this exciting task. So, be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care.